This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're listening to the Ann Campaign's Church Politics Podcast, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a biblical worldview. We're not trying to be progressive or conservative. We're trying to be faithful Christians in the public square. This is the kingdom, the kingdom, yes it is, gotta spread the word. Which is no good, Ann Camp. You're listening to the Ann Campaign's Church Politics Podcast with Justin Gibney. That's me and the Windy City representer. The baddest brother above the Mason-Dixon line, the right reverend, Christopher Butler. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, Chris. Um, let's start. Yeah, yeah. I want to start off this way. What is your favorite gospel song of all time? My favorite gospel song of all time uh, is Albertina Walker, Building Not Made by Hands. But that's Lord Keep Me Day by Day. That's huh. Okay. I, I I can accept that. I, I like that one too. For me, I would have to say, "I Need Thee" or "Near the Cross" by Mississippi Mass Choir. Oh come on! But I got to be honest. Anything sang by Mahalia Jackson is 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 everything, right? So yes, indeed. Yeah, that that's where I'm at, man. That's where I'm oh, at. I'm I'm feeling all that, so I'm, <laughs> I'm with you on on these. Hey, and once you I'm listen to this not- episode, folks. Do not hesitate to send us your favorite song. So if you, you respond on Twitter or you retweet us, let us know what your favorite gospel song is uh, as well. All right. Gospel song of all time. So of all sure. time. And we'll kind of give you. T- it's hard to choose one. You saw, you know, I, I, I didn't just put one. Try to do one. But uh, just let us know where y'all at on that. If you come with something super contemporary, don't be mad if I if I shoot that down a little bit. <laughs> so watch out. This is not a safe space if, if you're trying to go contemporary. Uh, let me say this, though, Chris. The AND campaign is growing, and you know this. Uh, as we talked about last week, we just had a launch uh, of the Denver chapter. Shout out to them folks in, in, in the Mahai City. Last Saturday, we just had our San Diego chapter uh, a launch. And so shout out to those folks, Melissa, Josh, Gabe, all the crew down there had a wonderful event. They were very hospitable uh, to your boy, had a really good time in the short time that I was in San Diego. They tried to tell me that the burritos in San Diego are better than the ones in Denver. That was a fail. But otherwise, it was very good. So I appreciate y'all. Everything y'all did, I'm looking for big things out of the San Diego chapter. Any thoughts on that, Chris? Man, I, I just think it's so exciting. You know, that has been over the last like uh, year or so, like the the most exciting thing for me in the AND campaign has been uh, the growth of the uh, sort of interest in AND campaign chapters. And we, we should shout out uh, Oshaba Hardman, uh, who is like killing it in terms of like helping folks around the country who want to start AND chapters get organized and uh, get on track to actually launch that stuff. So that's that's just so incredibly exciting to see this movement taking root organizationally uh, in different parts of the country. Yeah, for sure. Shout out to our vice president, 
uh, Osha Bar Hardman, uh, the, another right reverend, right? Osha Bar Hardman and all the work that he's doing. And don't get me wrong, guys. The San Diego burritos were good. <laughs> don't get me wrong. And I appreciated them. But they're not like Denver's smothered burritos, bro. I just can't give you that. But boy, oh boy, do we have a lot of stuff to talk about today, Chris. I feel like we need to take a deep breath uh, before we get into this one. Uh, but this is going to be a, a doozy. So grab your Bible, get your mind right, and prepare to think, not like a Republican, not like a Democrat, but like a Christian. Now, as you all know by now, uh, legislation outlawing the teaching of critical race theory is all the rage in red states across the nation. Now, I personally, and I've said this before, I personally think all the CRT stuff is overblown. I think it's being used as a political football to get the conservative base riled up and to discredit the fight for racial justice by conflating CRT with everything that has anything to do with racial justice. And I'll be honest, on that account, I find it to be very intellectually dishonest and altogether wicked. Um, and sadly, a lot of Christians are so fearful. They fear so they feel so embattled that they're falling for the C- CRT okie doke. I think they're being manipulated by uh, some political and ideological interest there. Now, I can say all that and, you know, we bring the nuance. I can say all that while also not giving critical race theory a complete and wholehearted endorsement, as I've said many times on this show before. I do believe that it has some merits. There have been and there still are significant abuses of power when it comes to race in America. I don't know how anybody could deny that. But I do think in some cases, and it's hard to just mark every aspect of uh, or every use of critical race theory this way, and I don't. But in some instances, I think it does lend itself to racial essentialism, meaning sometimes it attributes certain characteristics, good or bad, to people based on race. Some critical race theories, some critical race theorists simply indulge stereotypes. And I think that's wrong. And I think it can lend itself to that. And also, I think there, there, sometimes there's just this general discount of traditional sources of authority. Some traditional sources of authority do need to be dismantled. Some are legitimate. And I don't think it always see, sees the legitimate sources in some instances and in some ways of, of thinking through it. But one of the biggest problems uh, with the critical race theory discussion and debate is all the misinformation associated with it. I mean, first of all, you have very few people on either side of the debate that can give you an accurate definition. And I think that the conservative and progressive reporting and commentary on it is often just it often just really inflames the issue further. And it's hard for me to tell that that's not by design. Now, the state of Texas especially has really made a mess of all of this. So they've had one bill that's passed, that's been signed by the governor. Then they come up with another bill. This is Senate Bill uh, 3, uh, which they're, they're trying to add on to the, to, to the conversation. I just think it's a mistake. Um, now, the Huffington Post comes and they report that they give a report that basically gave the impression that Texas, Texas legislators didn't want teachers to teach that the KKK was morally wrong, that they didn't want teachers to teach um, about the I have a dream speech about Susan B. Anthony, women's suffrage and about indigenous people. I did some digging, uh, went through the statute, looked at some of the, the kind of the history of it. 
And I think that particular report is misleading. Now, as silly, lazy, and unnecessary as this legislation is, from my understanding, it wasn't meant to, and it doesn't have the effect of discouraging teachers or stopping teachers from teaching kids that the KKK was morally wrong. Um, It doesn't discourage or stop teachers from teaching about uh, Cesar Chavez, for instance, or Susan B. Anthony or women's suffrage and so on. That's not what happens. What actually looks like happened was that uh, Republican senators removed an amendment that said those lessons, among other things, many other things, had to be taught in social studies. So you have this amendment that people put in there that sometimes the other party doesn't even think will get passed, but it gives them talking points. And so that was inserted and that was rejected. Okay, the point of the legislation, if you ask, you know, if you ask them was to focus on making sure that teachers weren't compelled to discuss current events or controversial uh, topics of public policy in class, that they weren't forced to do that. It wasn't meant to prevent them from doing other things. So I would I would say that it certainly did not ban any of those lessons Um, As some folks are kind of reporting and as if you go on Twitter, people are saying, right, that's 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 kind of the impression that a lot of folks are getting. And maybe what some people think they just haven't looked deeply into it. The legislation, again, isn't really worth defending. So I want to be very clear. This isn't a defense of the legislation. But even if we're not going to defend certain legislation, it's still important to report on something accurately. Right. It's still important to be honest about it, because if you're not honest about it, Your good argument against it, in my opinion, is discredited. So we can say that the Texas GOP, and I think they are very wrong for what they're doing in regards to critical race theory and how they're adding so many things into it and how they're using it as a political football. But that's very different than saying they don't want kids to learn about MLK, which is a whole different level of ridiculousness. And you can say they're being ridiculous without saying that they've reached that level if they really haven't. And that's the that's the kind of tension that the and campaign tries to keep people in. Not just you can say somebody's wrong, but that doesn't mean that you have to take the next step and be dishonest and trying to prove them wrong. Now, are we uh, are we willing to allow that kind of nuance in a conversation that is so tense and polarized? Right. Are we willing to allow that kind of nuance in a conversation where we want to have the strongest narrative as possible? Is it worth misleading people? I think the Christian answer has to be no. But I want to hear what Chris has to say. Yeah, certainly the Christian answer to that question has to be no. Um, but I think it's, it's also uh, important for us to understand what is happening here uh, as folks try to, you know, sell out to, to media and, and that type of thing. Uh, my look at the, uh, the legislation uh, is that it actually might have the effect of discouraging some of these things that are important to teach. It would not have banned it, but it may actually have the effect of discouraging it. What you do when you take up this misleading, and misleading is probably too kind of a word, it's a false narrative uh, to say that they're trying to ban these things. What you do is actually you remove attention from a fight that may actually be worth fighting. In my opinion, it probably is worth fighting. But now the advocates of the legislation, all they have to do is prove that they weren't banning it, which they were not banning it. 
they are passing a piece of legislation to say that it's you know essentially not necessary, uh, which may have the effect of discouraging it. And I think that's a worthy fight. The question is, why not just fight that fight instead of making up this this other fight that ultimately is based on a lie, which is easier for you know folks who are trying to do something that probably is a little bit nefarious. This this fight based on the lie is much easier for them to win than a fight that's based on the truth. Yes, it would be a little bit more nuanced. No, it probably wouldn't hit like the very front page of uh, you know all the national newspapers and get you a spot on uh, you know every night on cable news networks. But it's a fight that's really worth fighting, and it might even protect some young person in Texas one day who has a teacher and a principal who really does not want to teach that the KKK is immoral. Um, and we, we didn't fight that fight, you know, and it, it, it's, it's really bad uh, to do this. So looking into these things and having this type of nuance, uh, to me, like it's the kind of stuff that I think all citizens um, should do. I think Christian citizens uh, are compelled with uh, an extra sort of emphasis. Um, we talk about it in the in the book, Justin, and, and you you know. I think there needs to be a uniquely American hermeneutic on Romans thirteen when we talk about submitting to the government, because the first words of our Constitution is "We the people, uh, we are the government." Ultimately, uh, elected officials are actually the servants. And uh, if we are the government and we want to apply Romans 13 uh, in our uh, situation, we need to accept the responsibilities of self-government. Um, and, and that's why I think that is not sufficient for us. It's not okay for us to just look at stuff like this um, and, and let it slide because you just might have a miscarriage of of, 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 of justice in this instance of local government, which is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's something that we, we got to pay attention to. You, you make a very good point though. Um, I once had a friend tell me that, you know, exaggerate, exaggerating, or even kind of lying for a good cause isn't a bad thing. And I couldn't disagree more because what it does is it discredits you right in a conversation where you need to have credibility for those who are, honestly listening to what you have to say, why would you kill your credibility by exaggeration, hyperbole, or uh, or by just flat out lying? Um, too often, when we think about discussions, we think about trying to convince the people who aren't being uh, intellectually honest, right? We think about trying to convince the people who aren't really entering the conversation in good faith. But really, that's really not who you're normally going to persuade. You need to try to persuade the people who are coming to that conversation to good, with good faith. And when you start doing what you say the other side is doing, then you really lose credibility. And I think that ends up backfiring. But let me spice this up a little bit for you, Chris. Uh, let me complicate this topic a, a little bit based on something that just came out. Now, most progressives would say that critical race theory is not being taught in K through 12 schools. Right. You hear that all the time. And I generally believe that to be the case. I do. But let's put critical race theory aside for a second. 
Because I don't think we can remove this debate from the larger societal context and larger societal trends that are going on at the same time. And I think progressives are giving the anti-CRT folks ammo by some of the other things that they do. Listen to this story coming out of Minnesota. In Minnesota, fourth graders were giving what was called an equity survey. So they're giving this equity survey. One of the questions on the equity survey asked, do you currently identify yourself as as female, male, transgender and explains transgender? It says transgender people have uh, have a gender identity or gender expression that differs from their assigned sex. For example, they were born male, but now identify as female or something else. Right. Or do you identify as something else? Chris, when one of the girls in the class asked the teacher if she could have her mother help her answer this question because she was confused. She didn't even know what it meant, which I'm, I'm sure a lot of those fourth graders probably were like, what is I don't even know what this is about. When she asked the teacher if her mother could help her. The teacher said no. Then the teacher told the students not to tell their parents about the survey at all. This is unbelievable. Why wouldn't you want the kids to tell their parents? To me, that just says something about the motives behind the survey. Now, I could be wrong, but if I'm trying to read between the lines, I would say that by asking kids, most of whom weren't even probably even thinking about stuff like this, but by asking them that particular question, you are deviously presenting it as a viable option. You are presenting it as something they should consider at an age when many of their parents would not want them to have to be confused and consider those type of things. That's the point. Sometimes you ask a question not to get to the answer, but to get to get people to think about certain things or to open them up to certain options. Otherwise, if that's not the case, why wouldn't they be able to ask to talk to their parents and have their parents help them with that? Nope. Whether they were confused or not, they were supposed to just answer the question. Now, Chris, admittedly, this is one case. Okay. And we don't want to blow one case and make it seem like it's going on in every school next door to us. But I do think there's a strong case to be made that some progressives are indeed using public education to spread ideological orthodoxy. Uh, They feel the need to, what's the best way to put this, to save children from their insufficiently secular progressive or insufficiently postmodern parents. It's their job to save them from their parents. Now, we can say that this CRT stuff is overblown. And I think we both truly believe that. But let's not be so naive as to ignore things like this. And I have a word for progressives. If you can see stuff like this go on, and even if it's not this blatant, there's stuff that's less blatant and y'all know that's going on and not say anything, then understand that you give conservatives and anti-CRT folks, and that's not all conservatives, ammo for the type of stuff that they're saying. And think about this. As you go behind parents' back and try to inform the kids on all this other stuff, if you want to call it information, what if you're wrong? What if at the end of the day, this transient cause is actually wrong and you turn around 10 years ago, 15 years from now and say, man, maybe pumping kids with hormone blockers or puberty blockers wasn't a good idea. 
maybe we should have left that up to their parents to, to talk through with them and, instead of forcing it down people's throats. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say, you know, this, uh, this story out of Minnesota, I hope that is not even true. Like, I hope that some investigation goes forward and it turns out that this is not even the case because uh, something like this is so horrible. Uh, and, and here's the reason, Justin, why I think it's so horrible. I think in the environment where these discussions have such prevalence in our society, what we should be doing in the realm of public education is actually redoubling our commitment to parental empowerment. I don't think anybody who has a kid thinks that the government, um, you know, is is a better parent uh, for for kids at large than is the actual parent. Like the the families uh, and the involvement and the engagement of families, uh, really, in my view, is the only hope for public education. Right. So when it comes to academic. Uh, uh, attainment, when it comes to social and emotional learning, and when it comes to these issues of identity development, the way to be safe in this environment is to just redouble our efforts to parental environment and empowerment. That means that if there are things that we think kids uh, need to learn or be exposed to, bring the parents along. In my view, not only should students in fourth grade not be told by their school not to tell their parents what they're doing at school, the school should have talked to the parents before they ever issued the survey, right? That is what it would look like to redouble a commitment to-, to But that would defeat the purpose, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, we, we want to cut, you know, you, know, you, you want to cut folks out. But if, if you don't want to be caught in this trap, right? Like if, if you don't want to be- you know, an innocent victim of bad intentions, then the North Star, the principle that you should follow, if you're a teacher, if you're a principal, uh, if you're a school board member and you're listening to this podcast, you may be faced with different situations. And, and like Justin, you already said, this is this is one isolated incident in a school or a school district. And, and you might have a different situation. But the North Star that you can follow is just commit to parental empowerment. Commit to the idea that the, the first advocate and the most important uh, leader an influencer for a child, for a fourth grader. I mean, I have a fourth grader. The most important advocate is the parent. If you commit yourself to that idea, you will not make this mistake. Yeah, and, and it's, that's a great way to put it. Um, and, and we have to think, our government was not created to do this. It was not created so that you could have kids in public schools and you decide what they what their values are going to be. Yeah. That's not why it was created. Um, and really, to me, this is what I call and you might have heard me talk about this before. This is what I call the tyrant impulse. Hmm. And both ideologies have this tyrant impulse that I have to control everything you and your family does because I know best and you guys are stupid and I have to save your kids even from you. Guess what? 
unless it's on an extreme, people get to teach their kids what they want to teach your kids. That is not your job to do. But we can't we can't accept that. And so while we look throughout history and we say, oh, how bad those tyrants were that they were doing these terrible. That's the same impulse that tells people to do exactly what they're doing. So parents, educators, administrators, it's time to thoughtfully stand up for some of this stuff. And that's the tough part, because the people who are anti CRT think that's what exactly what they're doing. But you see how both sides are working away from getting to the actual truth. And they're both perpetu- perpetuating and strengthening what's going on on the other side. And, and I'm going to be straight up, Chris. This is exactly why I will never tell Christians just to choose a side. I, I think that's one of the most brain dead things to say to people. I get where you're coming from. Don't be in this squishy middle where it's indecisive and you're not making a decision. Make a decision. Stand up for what's right. But guess what? What's right is not necessarily on either side. We'll be back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast with the right Reverend Chris, Christopher Butler and Justin Gibney. Whew, that was a heavy first subject, but it's not going to get any lighter right now. Um You might recall that six men were arrested for an alleged conspiracy to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Um, Many of the conspirators or most of the conspirators had connections to uh, right wing militias. So it was very quickly what was going on was very quickly categorized as another example of right wing domestic terrorism. And it was cited by a lot of people to kind of push that forward. Well, It sounds like there might be much more to this story. BuzzFeed did an extensive report on the conspiracy. And what they discovered is uh, it's pretty bad. They discovered that the plot was planned and encouraged in large part by FBI informants. Let me read what the article says directly. It says the FBI played a far larger role than has previously been reported. Working in secret, they did more than just passively observe and report on the actions of the suspects. Instead, they had a hand in, in, in nearly every aspect of the alleged plot, starting with its inception. The extent of their involvement raises questions as to whether they would whether or not there would have even been a conspiracy had they not been involved. A longtime government informant informant in Wisconsin, for example, helped organize a series of meetings around the country where many of the alleged plotters first met one another and where the earliest notions of the plan took root. The Wisconsin informant even paid for some hotel rooms and food as an incentive for, for people to come. The informant became so deeply enmeshed in a Michigan militant group that he rose to become its second in command, encouraging members to collaborate with other potential suspects and paying for their transportation and meetings. He prodded the alleged mastermind of the kidnapping uh, to advance his plan, 
then baited the trap that led to the arrest. So let me get this right, Chris. A government agency helped organize the meetings, paid for hotel rooms, paid for food, paid for transportation, encouraged the suspects to collaborate and prodded them to advance the plan and then arrested them. They were involved from the inception of the plan. Now, this information was gathered from multiple interviews, court filings and transcripts of audio recordings. Most of the defendants have pleaded not guilty and are claiming that they were set up. Now, I'll be honest, I'm an attorney. I'm not a criminal uh, criminal attorney. But this sounds like it could indeed be entrapment. Under U.S. case law, government agents may not originate a criminal design. Implant in an innocent person's mind the disposition to commit a criminal act and then induce a commission of the crime so that the government may prosecute. Now, a valid entrapment claim or defense. Right. So entrapment is a defense. So once you're charged with something, entrapment is a defense, almost like self-defense. Entrapment is a defense that you can put up. And there are two elements to the entrapment defense. Number one is government inducement of a crime. Number two is the defendants lacked this defendants lack of predisposition to engage in the criminal conduct, meaning they probably would not have done it, but for the government agency. All right. Now, it sounds to me like this may not have happened or this may not have gone anywhere, because if you look at it, it's like he encouraged them to keep going, to, to move forward, to advance the plot. They might not have gone forward. They might not have even met any of none of them might have even met if it wasn't for the government's involvement or this is the allegation, because none of this has necessarily been proven, although they're saying based on the report that this is what's being said on the tapes and everything else. If that's the case, which I don't have enough information, I didn't go through all the interviews or anything like that. So I'm going to be straight up with you. If that's the case, though. Then a serious injustice has occurred. An injustice with serious political and more generally societal implications. Like this, this was used in many different ways to push many different narratives. Now, we know that this isn't the whole FBI. I think that's an important point to make. But we don't pay our federal agencies to interact in this way, to encourage and fund criminal activity. This is the type of stuff. This is the big news that we know launches careers for people in in law enforcement. But if it's not all the way legit, then it's a violation of public trust. And again, it perpetuates a bad perception of law enforcement who many of most of are doing their best to protect people. We have to keep our eye on how this kind of how, how this how the information in this kind of comes out. But this is crazy, man. Any any thoughts on this, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I looked at at that BuzzFeed article. Uh, when it came out and, and and just some of the conversations that have uh, been going on leading up to that article. And it is deeply troubling. Um, I, I will say that if there is something that I have spent my life doing, uh, it is organizing. Um, we are currently engaged 
uh, in uh, you know building a movement to uh, engage believers across this country in faithful uh, civic participation. And how difficult uh, is it? We know firsthand how hard it is to to build chapters, to get a local leader uh, to consistently encourage people toward this faithful civic behavior. Uh, it's hard to recruit people who have the skill set uh, and the time and the interest to do that. So if the person playing that role in this nefarious organizing is a government agent, that's critical. How many times, Justin, have we not been able to do something that we otherwise would have done because we couldn't buy the flight or couldn't pay for the hotel accommodation? So don't pretend that these critical elements of putting a strategy together uh, are, are anything less than that. The, these things, the, the person who's sort of uh, organizing and pushing people forward on the strategy is a critical component. Uh, the person who is uh, supplying the financial resources uh, to do some of the practical things that have to get done in order to make stuff happen, that is a critical role. Uh, I can tell you as an organizer that these are the kinds of things uh, that if you do not have them, you cannot build a movement. Uh, so to, to, to say, if it is true that government agents were playing these critical roles uh, in, in this nefarious plot, the work that we're doing is good and faithful uh, and for the glory of God and the good of our society. Uh, this plot was nefarious and and bad and, and evil and horrible. But if the folks playing those critical roles were government agents, that's troubling. I mean, that is deeply, deeply troubling. And, and I would say to, to those who are listening to this podcast, who are probably, there are probably many of you who are like me, who are, who are disinclined uh, to sort of have a whole lot of, I don't know, good feelings and even charity, like we talked about last week, uh, toward folks who would in any way get involved with the plan to like kidnap a governor and all that stuff. Like if, if you get swept up in that kind of stuff, it may be difficult to muster charity and compassion, the understanding that it takes to look at this critically. But even if it's difficult to muster, you have to ask the Holy Spirit to help you call on, on the power to do that. Because this is bad, folks. Like this, these things don't ever roll back. If you want to know how you really should feel about it, and I'll say this because this is how, this is what helps me. Don't think about these uh, sort of right wing guys trying to kidnap a Democrat governor um, just before a presidential election. Don't think about that. Put your favorite group, put your favorite movement uh, in this situation where somebody's uh, you know, government agents get inside of a, a, a local Black Lives Matters uh, community and starts to goad people into committing acts of violence. And then uh, they get arrested for it um, after government agents came in and was like, hey, let's let's go do something horrible to this Republican governor. Uh, and, and they hatched the plan and they paid for the meetings and the meals and all that stuff. And then those Black Lives Matters advocates get arrested for it. Think about it in that frame, and then you see it for what it is. Uh, 
and 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 it, it's okay to have that sort of imagination because these things do not roll back, right? When when government gets these powers, uh, they just get handed off to the next uh, administration. And if you think that we've seen the last conservative uh, administration in like the the history and the story of the United States, you're kidding yourself. Uh, so you have to be against this. Don't be so uh, excited to gain like this temporary win for your ideological side of the discussion um, that you don't actually speak out against this really, really bad behavior. We just don't want the FBI acting this way. Yeah. And if you look at the history, you look at what J. Edgar Hoover had done and all that stuff. It's it's not OK. It's not OK. And again, when we hear these conspiracy theories and we say they're crazy, well, when stuff like this happens, you give credence to the other crazy stuff that comes out. Same thing as we were talking about last time. But you, you make a good point. Don't just think of it as your opposition. Um, you should be able to think of it as if it's something somebody close to you had to go through this and they ended up doing something that they probably didn't have the means, resources or the relationships to do. And then somehow those means, relationships, resources come to them and they end up doing it. Um, but this made me think of, of Fred Hampton. It made me think of Judas and, and the Black Messiah. Right. Which is a story we you know, you and I knew about before the movie came out. But it makes you think about that, uh, you know, FBI and other folks involvement in movements that really ruins the movements, get people shot, get people gets people put in jail and all that stuff. We've got to think through this. And just let me say this. If you can't see the injustice in this based on the facts that we have, right, based on what you know the allegations that we have. Then don't be surprised when your opposition can't have compassion for you when you're in that situation or for people who look like you when you're in that. If you can't find the compassion, say, no, this is just wrong. I don't care what they were about. Then you know exactly why your opposition doesn't do it for you, because you guys are more alike than you think. We'll be back. Are you too progressive for conservatives and too conservative for progressives? As a Christian, do you find yourself feeling politically homeless? If so, then you're not alone. Listen, this is Justin Gibney, president of the Ann Campaign. And if you're a Christian who doesn't know a whole lot about politics or someone who knows a good deal about politics but wants to be more faithful in the public square, then you have to read the Ann Campaign's book, Compassion and Conviction, the Ann Campaign's guide to faithful civic engagement that we publish with InterVarsity Press. Whether you just want to understand the relationship between church and state, why Christians should engage politics at all, how Christians should engage partisanship, politics and race, advocacy and protest, or even civility. This is the book for you. It's very much Bible-centered. It's Bible study and small group friendly. There are questions and exercises after every chapter that give you a framework for engaging politics in a biblical way. So if you want to do it in a better way, get our book, Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast. And this is one of, you know, a lot of people like like this conversation, but I, I really want to get into it. So, Chris, I don't I don't know about you. But me and my sons have been watching the Olympics pretty heavily. I mean, we're, we're into it. Um, 
And I'll be honest. We want all the smoke with every other country. We want all the medals, every one of them. We want America to win big, win often, and win everything. From water polo and surfing to table tennis and and, and track. We want to dominate. And as we were cheering on our, our, our team, this got me thinking about the Gibbony sports tribalism theorem as it applies to the Olympics. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, the Gibbony sports tribalism theorem says that people are naturally tribal, meaning we tend to form groups based on shared identity and to passionately promote, defend, and support those groups, even when it's wrong, even when it's irrational, even when it's at the expense of others. Now, that kind of tribalism is really bad when it comes to bringing it into politics or bringing it into civic engagement. And this is really one of the primary things that the AND campaign fights against, especially within Christianity, because we believe it, it results in xenophobia. We, we believe that this type of tribalism results in bad policy, brain dead politics, opposition centered politics, disarray and just the polarization that we see all around us today. In politics, tribalism should be discouraged. However, I think that tribalism should actually be encouraged when it comes to sports. I think that it's actually part of what makes sports entertaining. Furthermore, I would go as far as to say that I believe that the greatest that sports greatest contribution, right? The, the greatest contribution that we get from sports in our society is as an outlet for tribalism. Sports fanaticism is the perfect place to release your most uninformed, raw and base tribalism. You don't need a reason to like, defend and promote a certain team. It just has to be your team. They don't even have to be a good team. They don't even have to be quality. But go ahead and be rabid. Support them unconditionally. Again, don't do this when it comes to politics, political parties, ideological tribes. But by all means, when it comes to the Olympics, root for the red, white and blue in the Olympics. Or if you come from somewhere else, root for your folks and hate on other teams until your heart's content. I think that is part of the release that we get from sports. So what I'm saying is this, just to break it down, Chris, and you already know this, bro. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is this. It's bad to be an ugly American when it comes to world politics and culture in general. That's not good. But it's acceptable, maybe even desirable in this moment to be an ugly American when it comes to the Olympics. Any thoughts on that, Chris? Yeah, you know, I, I love uh, the, the, the Gibbony Sports Tribalism Theorem. Uh, I, I think that it is a, a real contribution. I think the, the other side of, of the contribution is that when you let yourself, you know, 
enjoy and imbibe tribalism in sports, if, if you are mindful, you can actually allow yourself to see how ridiculous it is. Because um, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, me and my kids, are uh, we anticipated the Olympics and we're into it. And I can tell you, Justin, the only reason any U.S. athlete loses in any competition is because they were cheated. Oh, so always, that's, yeah. That's yeah, the yeah. only way that they can lose. Goes without saying. Um, and, and so, you know, but when you observe that, when I observe myself, you know, saying those things and thinking that way in sports, you can actually see, like, how ridiculous it is and carry just a little bit more caution and discipline uh, into your, your, your civic and political engagement. Um, so I, I think it's, it's, it's important. I, I would encourage folks, if not sports, uh, to find a safe space uh, to to release your tribal instinct because you know you probably have it uh, because you're human um, and y- you know you need to get that out somewhere. The very worst place for it to come out uh, is in your politics, especially uh, today. So watch the Olympics, choose a team when the Olympics are over, get into some other sport. Uh, and and do your thing, um, you know. Hopefully, this year the White Sox won't be cheated out of a World Series, uh, and the Bulls won't be cheated out of a national championship in the NBA. Uh, I'm looking <laughs> forward to those things. Uh, but yeah, people do this. It's good stuff, man. I mean, you got to embrace it. You got to embrace it. Now, last I looked, right? It, it may it, it's updating at all times, but last I looked, the United States is up in the in the in the medal count. Right. I think we got uh, maybe uh, Japan in second China. No, I think China in second, Japan in third, something like that. So we're up and that's how it should be. Um, Now, I do want to say this. This is not advocate. This is not say that you can be violent or that you need to disrespect the athletes. But you don't have to love your neighbor necessarily. Or I'm sorry, you don't have to love your enemy when it comes to sports. Right. And as long as you keep it within sports and keep your hands to yourself and don't disrespect nobody, you're good. This is what we're saying. We're encouraging this activity because we think it's a release that you need. So embrace it. Well, this is another episode, man. We are so glad to have you all. Look, if you want to just if you want to become a part of this movement, not just somebody who listens to us, who stands on the sidelines, but somebody who's actually a part of this. Join us. The issues that we talked about today, the majority of them are very serious. And if you need want to if you want people to hear our perspective on this, you want to get that out. We need your help. There's two ways to do it. You can either tell people about this podcast, tell people about the and campaign. And there's actually more than two ways to do it. But we need you to spread the word, spread the word as far as you can. And people in your church and your group, in your young adult groups or in your, you know, uh, different ministries that you uh, that you are in. Please spread that word. It's important. But even if it's a little bit to contribute to what we're doing, you can go to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash church politics. You can go to the and campaigns website to contribute. And it doesn't have to be a lot. Anything helps. But this is, you know, this takes a lot of time to create this content. We really want to get it out there and we want 
uh, to equip Christians to deal with some of the issues that we've been talking about. So we really appreciate y'all. We would not be here without you. So as always, Ann Kemp, there's a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Politic with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ. Till next time, Ann Kemp. Well, I'll let you. Oh, Lord, I said, King.